Hello, this is Jeff. I'm just giving you a heads up at the start of this episode. Uh, it's been quite the journey getting this episode up to you. I apologize for its extreme tardiness. I had quite the adventure with my laptop crashing and trying to get the laptop going. Again, getting a new one going and getting the files. Because uh, I was like... 10 minutes away from having this audio file all edited and done and ready to go to you when the laptop crashed. At any rate, a real pain in the butt this past few days, and I apologize again. And then on top of it all, it looks like we just had plain bad luck where we had a microphone malfunction, so to speak, with the audio quality. But uh, here is the episode finally to you. I hope you get to enjoy the discussion we have about movie deal breakers. We, we do review a series of other movies in our mo- mo- weekend review and talk about our favorite movies in 1986. So a lot of fun, a lot of enjoyable information. Hopefully you can bear with the audio quality and uh accept my apology but we'll be back soon with another episode and hopefully without any further issues thank you i'm jeff gibson and i'm shanna paxton and we are the The movie Movie lovers Lovers. welcome hello to the official podcast of the gibson review in every episode we celebrate film by talking about our Week in Review, the movies and TV shows we've watched since the last episode. Move on to the main event, which is a main topic of conversation or a main review. And then we finish it off with film faves. Our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic, often marching backwards through time. In this episode, we'll have a pretty heavy front-loaded Our Week in Review, But then we'll be taking a break from reviewing movies for a moment with our main event, which is Movie Deal Breakers, a discussion that should be very interesting and and potentially lively. Then we will have film faves focusing on our March Backwards Through Time, 1986, which was a topic that we had to postpone with the Avengers episode, so we're getting back on track with that. Finally, looking forward to knocking this list out. So let's dive right on in with our Week in Review. Shanna, there isn't too much that you and I have watched on our own, but there's a lot that we watched together. We got a a fortunate time with the Mother's Day weekend. and Oh, and I'm not sure that I called it out in the last episode, but you had a birthday recently, too. Yeah, that was really fun. Did you enjoy your birthday? I did, and I got to do something. I got to spend it with awesome people and great friends, and I got to be at the Habitat for Humanity Women's Build site. So that was pretty cool. Very cool. I'm glad that you had an enjoyable time. I know it can be hard to squeeze in celebration of yourself when you're working at the same time, so I'm glad that that was a success. Uh, Getting back to our week in review, we watched a lot of things. So we're going to start, and we're going to go in some sort of order here, with Anna and the Apocalypse. Now, this is a British teen 
holiday musical zombie film. I'm pretty sure it's safe to say that this is a very unique film. Jenna? Yes. What did you think of Anna and the Apocalypse? It was a movie that we were looking forward to since last November. Did it live up to your expectations? Yeah, so I was very keen to watch this film, and when it became available to rent, I was pretty excited about watching it. But then we started watching it, and it reminded me of High School Musical, just grungier and more British. Okay. So, <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't into the songs. No kidding. I was into the story, but I wasn't into the songs. The only song that I was into was like this, this weird poppy, rappy, penguin song. Really? And no. I okay. don't know if that's an indication of how I'm spending most of my time, i.e., with a two-year-old, or like is that how I've been conditioned to want those kinds of songs that have pop? Huh. So, I think ultimately it's a really fun idea mm. for a movie. And, you know, it has a good ending. It's fairly realistic if there was, you know, zombies coming. Well, I pretty much loved this film. This uh, film is directed by John McPhail based on a short film by Ryan McHenry, who passed away when he was 27 a few years ago. It was his idea to make a zombie musical. And I would say that this film that stars uh, Ella Hunt as the title character, Anna, as well as several other actors and actresses I'm not familiar with, Sarah Swire, Malcolm Cumming, Christopher Laveau, and Omarley Sue, and Ben Wiggins, Mark Benton, Paul Kay, all these people, I think made for a movie that is like three quarters of a great film. And one quarter of a good film. I had issues with the third act, particularly with an uh, antagonist character. Mm. I will give the movie credit where I thought early on, uh, I was thinking, oh, okay, so it's probably going to hit these particular beats. This character who's a jerk is going to die first or quickly or whatever, all that sort of stuff. And it doesn't actually follow these these predictable beats that you would expect from a zombie movie. So I give it credit there. But I just wasn't too keen on the direction it took in the third act with a, a particular antagonist in it. Uh, otherwise, I love the songs. I was digging it uh, pretty, pretty well. I'd say most of the songs are pretty awesome. Now, I, are they earworms? Can I remember them off the top of my head? Not on one viewing. But I did, uh, I did dig them. I dug the choreography in the film. I, I had a blast with this movie. I thought it was so much fun and funny and clever. And I cared about the characters. Yeah, especially Ella Hunt and Sarah Swire's characters. I really, really liked them and their performances in the film. And I hope to see more from uh, these people. Mm. I did like the characters. Yeah? Yeah, I was quite fond of them. I think I said British, but actually I'm supposed to say Scottish. Yes. Is that right? Apparently. It okay. is uh, set in I, Scotland, I guess. I guess what I really mean to say is European. 
Fair so. enough. <laughs> just catch all the different dialects. I'll just catch it all. Dialects. I'll make it specific. Okay. So that's Anna and the Apocalypse, which it sounds like I enjoyed a little more than Shanna did. Next, we have the kid who would be king. We're going to stay in the same continent here. Uh, this one is British. Okay, it is. Yes. This is the newest film by Joe Cornish, who hasn't made a film since 2011's Attack the Block. I believe that was his directorial debut, if I'm not mistaken. If you haven't seen that very tight, fun, action, sci-fi horror film that introduced the world to John Boyega, you should check it out. The Kid Who We'd Be Keen, I would say, is also worth uh, checking out. It stars Andy Serkis' son, Louis Ashbourne Circus as a kid who just might be the rightful heir to the throne uh, in modern times, uh, that being a descendant of King Arthur. And it turns out his friends and, and bullies end up being his, his, his knights. Out of his round table? Yeah, like I'm trying to explain, like, yeah. I'm trying to think how to explain, like, how they parallel the actual Knights of the Round Table from from way back, but yeah, basically, basically, that's what it's about. Shanna, what did you think of The Kid Who Would Be Keen, which came out earlier this year? I was really satisfied with this film. I wasn't satisfied with Anna and the Apocalypse, but I was satisfied with this one. Okay. I think that the best part of this film was all the friendships that either existed as the film, you know, it brought us into the film. But, but also those that formed during the film. Mm. And I think that that was really cool. It's so difficult to imagine that your enemies, enemies or bullies are having a hard time because of something they're going through. That's why they're that way. Mm. And it's possible to become friends, but it's possible you might have to fight for it too. I'm not saying that, you know, you should go after people that are dicks. Right. But I am saying that this was a good depiction of growth. Hmm. Okay. I felt like this was a great film for kids. This is probably yeah. one of the better kids' films. It's really well-crafted. I felt that the plotting made... Uh, had. Had a sensibility to it that that was far from nonsensical. I never thought that the film had a tone that talked down to the age level of the kids, who, if I remember correctly, are like twelve or something like that. This reminds me of the films like The Goonies and and others from the eighties. Uh, mm. You know, where you had a bunch of kids on fantastical adventures, explorers, things like that. You know. Uh, I thought that there really wasn't much that I could say, well, that was kind of lame, you know, or anything like that. I think the only problem that I had with it, but it's such a small problem, is how they portrayed Morgan. And I'm kind of sick of hearing the whole, this is how a witch talks. You're talking about the villain character played by Rebecca Ferguson. Yes, the character Morgan. Okay. And I'm just... Morgana. Morgana. And I'm just... I'm so sick of hearing that and Mm. seeing that. Okay. I would would like them to freshen it up a bit. Hell, Mm. they could even go on the opposite side of the spectrum and be like 
Kinsman, the sequel, where they have that crazy Julianne Moore mm. character where she's just super sweet, mm. but she's a villain. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, I'm really tired of that trope. Like, mm. I'm not saying don't have a witch, but spice it up a little. I'm tired of the raspy voice thing. It didn't, it didn't bother you, me. You but... hear people uh, complain about... I can't remember which actor it is, but they complain about that one villain in Jupiter Ascending where he talks like this (laughs) and Mm -hmm. it irritates the world so much. Mm -hmm. But it's fine if a woman does it. And I'm like, no, I'm kind of sick of this. Hmm. Just because you're a witch doesn't mean that you're a smoker too. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I, Rebecca Ferguson's performance and how she played it didn't necessarily bother me. I thought that the action in this was actually also really uh, good as well, and the special effects. Yeah, special effects were lovely. A pretty well-done film overall right now, so far, sitting in my top five of the year, I, I think, so far. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure that won't stay the case for long, but uh, very good film. That's The Kid Who Would Be Kane from earlier this year. Next, we saw a new documentary on Netflix called Knock Down the House. This is a documentary by... Rachel Lears, and it's about a look at the women involved with various political campaigns throughout the United States during the 2018 congressional election. And it focuses on Amy Villella, Paula Jean Swearingen, Cori Bush, and one Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who, unless you've been living under a rock in the United States... You've probably at least seen once or twice on social media. So, Shanna, what did you think of about this new documentary? I thought it was a wonderful look at these four women running for Senate seats. I thought this was a very helpful documentary. Mm. I know nothing about politics, really. Okay. I know that I would like to live in a democracy. And that's as far as my political knowledge goes. I have a friend, I have a really great friend who, you know, knows a lot about politics. And I often learn from, you know, that couple. And this was very helpful for me because something that gets mentioned in that documentary is, hey, we've lost Democratic voters. And it's probably because of who's representing us in, I think they're specifically talking about New York. Okay. And how that's a problem, you're essentially, as the Democratic leader of that section, you're not doing your job. Mm. And there's a lot of accountability in this film, you know, depicted through these four women. Mm-hmm. They're, it's fierce leadership, it's clear words, it's strong hearts, you know, <laughs> and you just see so, you see a lot of hope in there, mm-hmm. and you see this sort of change that's about to happen mm-hmm. and then you also get to see what the result was of what they were specifically doing they were specifically running for you know seats and it shows you who gets it who doesn't yeah and how that feels and how close it came and you know there's this beautiful line in there where there's like a hundred of us have to run so that one of us can get in mm-hmm. and then i guess the, the thought is that as more and more run and more and more years go by, it will become quicker and easier in some sense. I don't want to be flippant with that word, but in some sense it'll be, you will see more women in the Senate seats. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think not to give away what the results are if you're not already familiar, but I think that there's, I'm trying to separate myself from the politics of, of the women and, and just kind of taking the documentary as uh, on the face of its journey and what it's, what it's showing us. I think there's a lot of value in the documentary showing that here's a group of women throughout the country. They don't live in the same area. They're not necessarily friends before, but they are united in the same goal. They are women who decided to take action instead of just type on on social media their feelings. And I think there's a lot to admire about people who are willing to take action for change, even if they may not win. I think that's one of the biggest takeaways from uh, the film is that there's value in in people in seeing people taking action even if they don't always win the battle but i hope they continue the fight to those that did not win the battle necessarily and we know of at least one yeah 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 this this one battle yeah Yeah. Uh, we know of at least one that did and it's really great to see her put up the fight in uh, in the in congress I thought, for what the film was, it was perfectly fine and very insightful at times, and it definitely did not lack interest in any sense. What about you? I think that everyone should watch it. Whether you're Republican or Democrat, I don't Mm. think it matters, because... I mean, you could apply it to Republicans too, right? Like what I just said earlier... You know, oh, well, we're losing voters for the party that we represent, Mm. and that's because our leader is not doing a good job. And I don't mean a president, I mean the local. What is it called with the electoral vote? Yeah, the districts. Mm -hmm. Like your your person Mm -hmm. who's in your district is not doing their job. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, there was like one part that I will, like, like, here's how interesting it is, and here's how basic it gets broken down to. You know, it does have complexity to it, but it goes as basic as comparing her card. What is her name in New York? Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So she takes her card, her vote for me card, and compares it to who who was already existing. You're talking about brochures. Yes. Yes. And she's showing how one brochure looks a certain way and how her brochure looks a certain way. Yeah. And... It's, it's almost like a design lesson as well. Yeah. So I really appreciated that part of it. Because how are we... You know, it's like education empowers the people. And it empowers them further than... Oh, well, that's interesting. It empowers them to think more carefully about who they're going to vote for. So I feel like it doesn't matter what party you represent or vote for. I think you should watch it. Mm-hmm. Because it's fascinating. Yeah, I would agree with that. So that's not... Down the House, available on Netflix. Next, we have Nancy Drew and the Hidden Staircase. The latest Nancy Drew film. Based based on the second book. Thank you. Very good. Yes, which actually was one of the original adaptations on film back in, I think, the late late 30s, early 40s, something like that. 
Shanna, you have talked about how much you're a fan of the 2007 Nancy Drew film. Mm-hmm. What did you think of this latest update? Well, I thought it had this really fun, colorful cinemat- cinematography loveliness to it. Mm-hmm. The, what's great is, compared to the previous one, uh, the, did you say 2007? Correct. It, you know, what they did in 2007 is they, may, they had it in that current time, and they just made Nancy Drew really, I guess, eclectic and vintage, you know? So she was, repres- she was bringing the character forward in time. Okay. You know? So that was, I thought that that was an interesting way to go about it, but what they do here is, no, they're making Nancy Drew in this time. They even add what it's like being cyberbullied, which is something oh, you yeah. know, I'm mm-hmm. familiar with, mm-hmm. but I'm not up to date on. Like, yeah. what kind, What does it look like, you know? Yeah. And so that was very interesting, at least as a parent, uh, never mind, you know, just a member of society, to see because, you know maybe this is something that our kids will go through and they won't be able to verbalize it. But this at least helps us introduce the topic to our kids. I thought the story wasn't very exciting throughout the film Mm. compared to 2007 ones. 2007, I was excited the whole time. You know, I was engaged the whole time. And this one, I was kind of in and out of paying attention. And... I thought it was a little slow paced. I felt like they could have picked it, picked up the speed a little bit, and it really? wouldn't have hurt the film. There was a lot of like breathing time, and I don't think that we necessarily how they spent it. I don't think we necessarily needed it. Well, it's not a very long movie either. It's only eighty nine minutes long. You know, that's including the credits. Mm. So that's interesting that you thought that there was a lot of breathing time too. I I thought that. This was a, a perfectly fine film for kids, you know, preteen and under. I thought, you know, it's not as good as The Kid Who Would Be King, but I found that the star Sophia Lillis, who played Nancy Drew, was a really great Nancy Drew. Now, obviously, I'm not necessarily a Nancy Drew fan, per se. I didn't grow up reading the books. I didn't see the movie you saw or anything else, but she was a really good character here. She was someone who stood up for others. She's a really good friend. She was very curious, and she has this ability to observe so well. That And I, I thought it was interesting how the director, Kat Shea, who previously did a, a couple TV movies and Poison, Poison Ivy and a couple erotic thrillers way back in the early 90s, I thought it was interesting how this director kind of depicted Nancy's observational skills, too. And, it was very csi <laughs> Yeah, kind of. And also, I'm not familiar with the books, but this felt like it was one of the novels, which I found out after the fact it actually is. So they definitely got the feel, I feel like, I, I, I write about a, you know, a teen detective story based on based on a, a popular series, you know. Uh, so I, I thought it was a pretty moderate success. I didn't think it was a, a, one of the best films of the year, but a pretty darn good. I, if I had a girl, I would definitely show her this film. Well, and I want to be clear. Like, even though at times I was a little bored, there were some really wonderful things that they were addressing. Again, that whole misunderstanding a person and then bringing them into the friendship circle, you know, kind of like in The Kid Who Would Be King. 
Uh, that was happening. That was addressed, you know, and we're all capable of being that theme of we're all capable of being a bitch and we don't have to be was also addressed, which is really helpful for girls in particular because it is a girl's problem. Yeah. And I'm not saying that I don't want to see more of these. I would be sure. super happy if we had another two of these, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, if it was a trilogy pack. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be against that necessarily. Of course, it's it's hard to do when someone is aging so quickly. Hell, give me a TV show, man. Sure, yeah, right. <laughs> give me something. I love the Nancy Drew franchise. Yeah, very cool. So I think we're fair in agreement. I, I liked Nancy Drew a little bit more than, than you did this time around. But uh, I thought it was a pretty good, pretty good mystery. Okay, so next we saw On the Basis of Sex, which is another film tw from 2018. <laughs> we're trying to catch up with. It came out on Christmas in Limited, released wide in January, and we just somehow missed it. I don't, I don't know exactly if it even came down here or, or what. But this is, of course, the, the film starring Felicity Jones as Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who takes on a case about a, a man who was denied a tax write-off or a tax deduction for taking care of her mom or his, his mom, mom. Yeah. because he was single and never married it, this apparently this deduction only applied to people who were married or widowed i guess and so she took this on as basically the law discriminating on the basis of sex Shanna, what did you think of this film? I know you've been really looking forward to this film for a while. Did it uh, live up to your expectations? Unfortunately, I found myself bored. No um, kidding. Yeah. I, I, I loved watching it, but I wasn't excited by anything. And hey, maybe it's just not that kind of film. Maybe it's not the kind of film that's there to thrill you. Hmm. But what I loved was this depiction of this woman in a man's world and they do it with various different shots like her walking I think she's walking into Harvard and there's just a ton of men in suits and mm -hmm. she's the only one with a dress mm -hmm. uh, I think that's the shot that it is but you can see it in the trailer so it's there somewhere mm -hmm. and that was interesting it was also interesting that by the time she had interviewed with the 12th law firm and was not accepted after getting her law degree you know qualifying mm -hmm. I love that they depicted how, well, yeah, after the 12th time, you're going to kind of give up and step aside a little bit. But then it shows this wonderful, uh, what was happening uh, parallel to what she was trying to achieve. It shows the women's lib movement. And that mm. was really interesting to put those two together. I, I know it's it's like real life, but... To ha have those two things mm -hmm. so close together in the story being told was mm -hmm. really cool. In the sense that you have people taking action on the streets versus someone who's trying to make change through law. Yeah, and I also think that you could probably argue that she was talking about it theoretically. You know, not necessarily taking actions mm. until her daughter points out... You're just essentially you're the modern version of today where you're just making comments on Facebook and you're not doing necessarily anything to bring us forward. Gotcha. And I thought that was very interesting, but 
but other than that, I mean, you know, it's it's a law film. It's a law film, <laughs> so you have to Court just pay it, yeah. pay attention and listen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I and, and uh, I will say first of all, this film also stars Army Hammer, Justin Theroux, Sam Waterston, Kathy Bates, Kaylee Spaney plays the daughter that you mentioned, and then Jack Rayner, Stephen Root also star in the film. It's directed by Mimi Leader, who some may know from Deep Impact, I think, about 20 years ago. Anyway, I found the film absolutely fascinating. I mean, you know, it is depicting someone's real-life story, so it's not like there's a lot of uh, liberties or things that they could do to spice up the story, per se, you know. I would say, though, that the story as is was, the case was very fascinating. The fact that, you know, the film is called On the Basis of Sex, and that doesn't just apply to the case, it also applies to her professional experience. As you mentioned, Shanna, you know, she was getting denied jobs on the basis of her sex, you know. Even though she went to both Harvard and, and Cambridge? No, not Yale. I think it was Cambridge. Maybe Columbia. One of those C words. And, and got a, a degree. She's just as proven as, as any other guy in her time, you know? I thought Felicity Jones is fantastic. I'm a big fan of Felicity Jones. I don't think she's had necessarily the best decade in terms of all of her film choices. But I've, I've loved and been fascinated with her since The Theory of Everything. I think she went to Columbia. Columbia, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and, and she's great here as well. Army Hammer does a really great job of, uh, and, and he's written well as Martin Ginsburg, uh, Ruth's husband, who never is condescending. He's always been very supportive of Ruth, as I understand Martin was in real life. He was uh, fairly progressive in in that way. She also went to Cornell. Oh, really? No it kidding. Looks like. Very cool. I'm not sure that that was in the movie, though. I thought uh, overall it was a fascinating case, and I thought the prep for the case was fascinating as well. Is it a great film? No, but I, I definitely think it's a good film. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I probably gave it a 7 out of 10 overall. Uh, and uh, definitely worth worth noting in, in this era of, of renewed feminism and, you know, uh, of course, if you want to learn a little bit more about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, aside from the documentary, this is a good narrative story about it. So our next film is Welcome to Marwin. Oh, we're going to talk about that. Yes, the December release, I believe. It kind of got lost in the shuffle of everything that came out in December. This is the latest Robert Zemeckis film, which blends live action and CG technolo performance technology. It stars Steve Carell and a host of other uh, women. This is based on the life of Mark Hogenkamp, who we recently became familiar with after watching the documentary Marwin Call. I'm not sure if we talked about it in this, in this podcast or not, but... Basically, he became a victim of a brutal attack at a bar that made him lose most of his memory, forget who um, he was, at least, and he had to use a memory book to kind of figure out who he is. Uh, the only thing that really stuck with him is that he has a somewhat of a fetish for women's shoes. And 
through his trauma, because he lost, he ran out of coverage and his health insurance, he worked through his trauma by building a kind of like a model size version of this World War II town that he called Marwin Call, at least in the documentary. In this film, it's, he, he calls it Marwin. And he kind of like has this like World War II story that he enacts with these dolls including women dolls who are these survivors of, of Nazis having taken over his, uh, their town, right? And they take him under their wing and, and, uh, and all that sort of stuff. Shanna, what did you think of Welcome to Marwin? I'm really glad that you mentioned the documentary as well. Mm-hmm. Because here's what I think of this film. Mm. I think it's an atrocity. It's like they chopped up his real story and took the pieces that they that would be cool and then further bastardized it. There's no respect to the actual story. Um, no acknowledgement of the fact that he couldn't afford physical therapy or any kind of therapy to help recover from this incident. It shows him undergoing physical therapy, but it doesn't mention the fact that that he had to stop because and of medical coverage. You could have mentioned it. Mm -hmm. It's it's a topic of the time. Mm. You could have mentioned it. It's not that hard. Characters are made up for who knows what. It's it, it certainly can be seen as a way to cover up the actual pain or horror of you know how we take care of each other. This movie excuses horrors and holds no man accountable through its Hollywood, money-grabbing, glossy, blatant disregard bullshit. When you say it excuses horrors, what do you mm -hmm. mean? It Well, it excuses the horror of we don't take care of our people, health okay. insurance-wise. We don't take care of them. This is someone who needed to be taken care of, yeah. and he didn't. Yeah, I don't think it even acknowledges it, so it doesn't it make doesn't. an excuse so, or anything. So it's like you didn't even mention it in any shape or form in any way you're a storyteller you could have done it in any number of ways and i don't have to be the one to tell you how to do it yeah you know then you made the character the doll that actually helps him in real life you turned into a jealous you know nonsense character now you are talking about a character played by diane kruger i'm trying to find her name right now because i don't remember it either off the top of my head it is Deja. Deja. And Deja's actually helpful. Sometimes a little strange. Sometimes a little, you know, weird in her motivation within the real story. Uh -huh. But, you know, never, like, I don't think Deja ever harms no. him. No. And another He's, thing. He, she has, like, first of all, we're talking about a doll. So it exists in, in Hogan Camp's imagination. Yeah. But... The, the character Deja in Marwin, oh, yes. Marwin Call has a crush on his avatar, which he calls Captain Hoagie. But then another thing that disappointed me so deeply yeah. about what they did to Deja is they made her symbolic of an addiction that he doesn't have. Yeah, he never that didn't exist. He never yeah. had an addiction to right. painkillers. Yeah, it's just it's just ridiculous. And then they show here, uh, is it Hogan? What Hoagie. Hoagie. They show Hoagie proposing to Nicole. 
Oh, 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 you're talking about the actual person. Yeah, the Mark Hogan Camp. And you know what? This isn't a spoiler because this is... I'm showing you how they bastardized this poor man's life. Okay. The real person would never do that. Right. So they're doing things that the real person never, never would have done for a stupid reason. A reason that has no result. And so I, I highly recommend that no one watches this film. So if I can... Maybe. For the most part, we're on the same page. I knew something was wrong with this film within the first two minutes when it takes the anything that's animated and anything that has to do with the dolls. It, the film is aiming for fun and whimsy. And within the first couple minutes, we're talking about a pilot being shot down in World War II. And it's just like knowing the real story, tonally making jokes by having his feet on fire or whatever... And, and going for something a little more whimsical just felt totally off. This film, I agree with you. I think it makes changes to at least half the story for no apparent reason. I feel like this film is a film you cannot trust. And, and for that reason alone. And in addition, it poorly treats a man's trauma in jaw-dropping ways. There are scenes that you see even in the trailer... That in the context of the film, my jaw was on the floor. Like, this is what you're doing with this guy's real-life trauma? Like, he got his head beat in, and you're making jokes about, like, him um, having imagining, like, these, these, these battles in this town and screaming, more ammo, more ammo, and, and someone mishears him for asking for more gumbo. It's like, what?! Like, this this is, is probably the worst film. Seriously, if I would have seen this film before the end of the year and I did my best and worst article, this film would have landed in my top three worst films of the year, by far. It is atrocious, and it really makes me think that Robert Zemeckis just needs to stop. He's gone from doing these CGI performance capture films that were ahead of their time in the sense that they do not age well, to now adapting documentaries. First he did, what was this film, The Walk, based on, what's that called again? I know what you're talking about. It's the French, Frenchman tightrope walker. Yeah, I just can't remember the name of it. It came out in 2008. It's a great documentary. He did that in 2012. as The Walk with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Now he's turned his attention to Marwin Call. He just needs to stop. He hasn't been great since, like, the 80s or 90s. And uh, it definitely doesn't make me want to support the rest of his his later years. Anyway, so that's Welcome to Marwin. I think we spent enough time on that one. We need to move on to our last film before we get to our main event, which is What Men Want, which is a remake of Nancy Myers' 2000... I think it was 2000... Maybe 2002? I don't know if you can call it a remake. I think it's just like, it's like a sequel. No, I, I don't think it's a sequel. I don't think it exists in the same world as the the original one. And what we mean... It's a something else. It's not a remake. Are you sure? Because I think it's being categorized as a remake. Let me look. It, it, it's What we're referring to is what men, what women want. The film that, started, that starred Mel Gibson and Helen Hunt way back in the day, and was, I think, Nancy Myers' directorial debut. I could be wrong. 
But this one is directed by Adam Shankman and stars Taraji B. Hansen. It's about a, a woman executive who is trying to get ahead. And I think, oh, not an executive, sorry. She's like a sports agent, my bad. And she's trying to get a, a, a promotion, right? I think she's trying to become partner? That's right, yeah, partner yeah. of the agency. And she gets kind of boxed out of it by her boss, who, of all people, is played by Brian Bosworth, who, if you are at least 30 years old, you probably know that name from way back in the early 90s. It also stars Richard Roundtree, Kellen Lutz, and a couple other... Oh, Max Greenfield from, of course, New Girl. Shannon, what did you think of What Men Want? I thought there were a lot of funny moments... And I could relate to, you know, because she's hearing men's thoughts. You know, there's some really odd things that they're thinking about. There's some really odd things that they're doing. So I think it takes all of that and amplifies it in this movie. And I thought that that was really funny. And what women want, they kind of, you know, out of all the women that Mel Gibson is hearing, there's one woman who is depressed and slightly suicidal and so he's using those thoughts for good in that sense mm. with what men want I don't think we're coming across that really it's more of a it's more of a I need to remake myself kind of thing even though Mel Gibson had to remake himself too they kind of use it in a different way mm. over here I thought it was interesting I thought it was a at times a little silly, but it's it's a comedy, so that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So did you like it? I liked it. Would I watch it again? I don't know. Okay. So this version is co-written by Tina Gordon, who also wrote the movie Little, which is a variation mm-hmm. on Big, I believe. Uh, this year it came out. I... Kind of, I, I had lower expectations for this film because it didn't get the best reviews, but I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. And a large part of it is because of Taraji P. Henson. I think she's magnificent in this film. I think she's hilarious. I think she's sexy. She's, uh, she is a, a star. She is great. She can carry a film uh, just like any other star. And, you know, she could take what is... Fairly mediocre material, probably, you know, not not what you'd call great, just maybe just above average, and really kind of carry it to something that is greatly enjoyable. Of course, Tracy Morgan also co-stars as, is he the father of one of the clients? I was a little hazy on the relationship between he and one of the clients. I wasn't sure what his relationship... He's that father. He's their father. So he's hilarious yeah. in it, of course. I don't know. I, I, I thought that it had a really good handling of... Um, first of all, this is a woman who's very confident. She's very sexually confident. She is not at all bashful about, about uh, sleeping with men and being casual about things. And uh, I don't think the film judges her for that at any point. I did think it was a, an improvement on the original, which I'm... Venturing to guess, though I could use a rewatch, it does, the original probably does not hold up that well in a post-times-up environment. And I thought that this time swapping the gender and also making her 
um, a black character was a brilliant move that added a lot of dimension and more interest to the story. I, I feel like the film is just pure, you know, Friday night, girls' night satisfaction, you know? Well, I also like that her assistant was gay. Oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. We got to hear... We got to see some very interesting things there, and I hope that um, it was all on point. Yeah, and that character is played by Josh Brenner, who you may recognize from such uh, films as The Belco Experiment, The Internship, and Max Steel. Hey, apparently he voices in, uh, he does a lot of voice work too. He voices in DuckTales and uh, Ninja Turtles cartoon. Um, anyway, so that's what men want. Now, we really need to get into our main event, which is movie deal breakers. Okay, so what is a movie deal breaker? So this was a conversation that we had a couple months back that sparked, ooh, this would be a good idea for an episode, where we were talking about, like, what are, what are some deal breakers for us? Now, the, the inspiration of this is, okay, you think about deal breakers in terms of dating, right? What are some deal breakers in who you're looking for in a person? You know, like, if the person smokes... Not going to get involved with them. If, if the person, person drinks, no. Right. Or, you know, if the person doesn't believe in... XYZ. Yeah, you know, if yeah. the person is a hardcore Mormon or whatever, you know, nothing against them or anything. But, you know, like, these kinds of things are all specific, like, qualities that may or may not apply to us that become deal breakers, right? So the idea is to translate that into movies. What are movie deal breakers uh, for you? So the, the natural translation would be in terms of relationships with people, friendships with people. So let's start, Shanna, with, and let's kind of have a discussion about what are some movie deal breakers in terms of what people like? I'd be happy to get into that, but before I do, sure, there's deal breakers with relationships, but then there's things that you're flexible on. Like, of course. oh, you don't pick up your laundry? That's going to be a problem, but I guess I can live with it. Sure. So, yeah. That would not be a deal breaker, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, if, if you meet somebody and you find out they love X, you're like, we're not going to be that close. Ah. You know? If you like crap, then we are not going together to watch a film. Okay, most so likely. what's specifically crap to so you? So I cannot think of something that's more recent, but... Dude, where's my car? Freddie got fingered. Welcome to Marwin. Of... Oh, there we go. <laughs> and you didn't... Oh, like, so it's more like... See, that's a good point. Like, if you like the movie more than the documentary, or if you praise that particular movie, mm -hmm. like, we can't be friends. Yeah. Like, it's just not going to work for yeah. me, you know? To be fair, most people haven't had access to the documentary. It's not as... Wildly and I'm a reasonable right? person, mm -hmm. you know, like if you haven't had access to it, that's fine. Here, go, I'll rent it for you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that's when I'm, dude, where's my car? Freddie got fingered. Those are like, I know they're a very specific time, but that's when I know there's going to be something wrong with you, mm -hmm. you know. And I think there's a difference between, I do think there's a difference between, oh my God, I love that film versus, oh my God, that's the best film ever. Like, I won't trample on you or shame you if it's, a movie you watched with your dad while he was dying with cancer, you know, or, or something like that. Because I do believe there is 
this sort of power of attachment association. Yeah. But dad must have died while watching that movie with you. <laughs> with who you watch it with, right? So for me, like I love Rat Race because mm-hmm. of, you know, it's not a great movie, but man, me and my family quote that thing all the time, mm-hmm. all the time. I don't like Princess Bride. <gasps> Too late. You married Deal me. breaker. You married me already. It's, <laughs> it's over. You're screwed. But I can appreciate that other families and people love it for whatever reason. Mm. Um, if you like crime films, we'll probably get along. If you don't like foreign films, I think we're going to have a problem beyond you just not liking mm-hmm. something created by another country because... That particular category, there's so much more than a film with subtitles. It's a film that shows another culture, mm-hmm. another experience. Mm-hmm. It's like traveling the world in the comfort of your own home if you're present with it. Yeah. Even watching, there's this TV show on Netflix called Always a Witch. Uh, I believe it's filmed in Spanish. It was so enjoyable because there were things that were different to normal Western films and TVs that I enjoyed seeing. So to me, it's like, well, if you're not interested in other cultures or people from around the world and you can't handle that, like, we are not going to be friends. That one, uh, I will piggyback on and and say, yeah, it's, it's, it's one thing to not have had the exposure or time to have seen foreign films. It's another to flat out say, oh, I'm not interested. Or I don't want to watch a movie with subtitles. I don't want to read a movie. Like, that's, that's when we're going to start, like, that's going to be a deal breaker for and me. And look, you have because, to be in the mood for it. Well, sometimes. it's different energy. Sometimes. But, most importantly, like, you're basically saying that you want to limit yourself to one nation's films, for the most part, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to the bajillion, like, literally thousands of films that are made all over the world that basically make up the majority of films when when in total if if not at least as many as what the united states produces you know you want to just ignore all of that flat out wholesale that's a deal breaker for me yeah yeah something that i enjoy doing that we don't do nearly often enough we've only done it once um is going with friends to watch documentaries we did this with Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Well, uh, won't you be my neighbor? Won't you be my neighbor? I'm sorry. And that was lovely because we went out for lunch afterwards and we all had a discussion, yeah. a really compassionate discussion yeah. about this. I mean, it was, you know, a friend that didn't watch it even joined us. And it was such a lively discussion between, I think there were about six or eight of us, that the table next to us wanted to be part of the conversation too. That's true, yeah. And I really like being able to do that, mm-hmm. you know, because then you really get a sense of what that person's like, you know. You know people in different ways, and it's a, it's a, it's a fast way to learn about someone, I think. Sure, sure. Uh, let me, let me help, help a little bit on here and contribute to the, the like situation in terms of people's taste. If your favorite movies are stoner comedies or oh God, yeah. bargain bin action films, if you have a collection of those and you love them unironically, 
that's a deal breaker. We like I will not be able to trust your judgment in 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 your opinions of any movies per mm. se. You know, it's it's fine if somebody like likes the occasional one speckled in their overall taste. Yeah. But if that's like your favorite type, either of those or your favorite type of movies, I know exactly what we're dealing with here, and yeah. and it's a deal breaker. Well, and for me, the the ultimate test is. It's the list seems to be growing now, but the ultimate test of you know where you are in your movie tests and your love for for that kind of fandom is what your opinions are on Star Wars, Star Trek, Harry Potter. Maybe there's another franchise that I'm forgetting. All sci-fi fantasy franchises, yeah. by the way. It's interesting that those are the three I'm going to, but in particular, Star Wars and Star Trek. You mm. need to like Star Wars or Star Trek after watching them or being exposed to them in some way mm -hmm. and have a good argument for not liking one versus the other uh, if you haven't seen them that's fine mm -hmm. but if you have and you don't have an opinion and uh, then I feel like there's something wrong with you I also <laughs> have I mean I have I also have opinions about you know there's something that goes further in it where it's like okay well what's your opinion about you know Star Wars prequels you know right 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 that's and taking another level so it can yeah well, that's what's nice about star wars is you can have a discussion with those different those various mm. levels and now you can bring on you know what's happened afterwards but uh, you know if for instance you like the prequels and you don't like the original trilogy you don't like the original which i i, I cannot fathom this but those people exist yeah and so i think it was deal breaker you Yours and my first conversation on the phone after yeah. meeting each other, and y you could tell that we were testing each other out, <laughs> sussing things out. Sure. Like, okay, well, do you like Star Wars? Yes, I like Star Wars. Well, what do you think of the prequels? And I'm like, I'm glad they exist for people who want that kind of backstory, but they're not, they're not nearly as good. They suck, is what as, you're saying. Yeah. And you were like, oh my god, I want to marry you, and this was like a month mm -hmm. of knowing each other. Right. And I, I think that it's the reason I bring up Star Wars is because it's a good indicator it is. of where you're going to go. Now, it's, also, people, it's also a good segue into deal breakers of what people don't like. Yeah. You know? And if you don't like Star Wars, or as you say, you know, uh, don't like Star Trek, whatever, that can be a deal breaker. Now, yeah. you're more of a Star Wars girl than a Star Trek girl. Yeah. I believe so, and it might evolve, it might change yeah. over time. I think if you have to bring in other franchises, I think ultimately I'm an X-Men girl, you know? Yeah, but between those two... But between those two, it's a good indicator. And, like, we have friends that are more Star Trek people than Star Wars people, sure. and they have a good argument for why. But you don't have anything against Star Trek, no. per se. No, but, you know... If I want to piss someone off, I'll see. I'll say what's Star Trek, right? You know, right just right. for fun. Right, yeah. So. I was raised on both things, so I am a fan of both things. Mm -hmm. But for me, like if someone, it's not just that they didn't see it, right? Although it's frustrating for someone who like willfully refuses to see it. But it's not just that if someone hasn't seen it. But if someone like has seen it and they're like fuck that shit or whatever like <laughs> you know then we're gonna have a problem like i cannot have a reasonable conversation with someone who <laughs> who who can't see value in 
in Star Wars, particularly everything after the prequels. I mean, come on, like, I, I, I can hardly have, like, for me, if you love the prequels, that's a deal breaker, too. You know, because come on, like, they are, the CGI looks so terrible, and the stories are so not good. And, you know, and it's just, oh, I think so ultimately, many things. you have to have opinions. Oh, okay, you love the prequels, tell me why. Mm-hmm. And if it's just a flimsy argument, then I'm <laughs> yeah. no, I'm wasting my time on you. Right, right. You know, because I can understand, like, oh, you know, I really liked the prequels because they showed us who they were before shit hit the fan. It's like a Britney Spears moment. You know, like if you make a good <laughs> argument, I will I will listen to what the you Star have to Wars say. prequels are the yeah. Britney Spears <laughs> Britney of Spears. Star Wars. That's funny. You to know. Me. Like, I just, I need to have a conversation. I mean, I remember after watching Avatar, I watched it with two people, you know, one person that was an acquaintance and another person who the acquaintance brought with him. And I wanted to have a discussion about the comparisons that Avatar was making to how we're treating the environment at the time and how we're treating resources and how colonialists are meant are sort of made parallel com- yeah. you know comparisons with and I wanted to have those conversations mm-hmm. and these people didn't pick up on that at all and I was like what <laughs> you yeah. know it, it was such a short circuit in my brain <laughs> I had to walk away yeah I had to physically remove myself one other deal breaker in all these lines for me is people who I first of all they will say they don't like black and white movies but <gasps> those bastards right but along with that it used to be they don't watch movies pre-1980 and I think the the needle has moved as I was gotten older to pre-1990 you know like there are people out there who if it doesn't have the modern story filmmaking sensibilities like they either don't acknowledge it or don't seek it out or don't watch it or whatever that's a deal breaker to me to have like completely close the doors on the first 80 years of film, <laughs> you know, in, in, in Hollywood alone, you know. Yeah. That's a deal breaker. You know, you're, you're eliminating Alfred Hitchcock, Charlie Chaplin, Frank Capra, you know, John Ford, so many great filmmakers in that time, so many great stars as well. If your favorites are exclusive to movies that have been made since the turn of this century, mm-hmm. deal breaker. I think that something that is a deal breaker for me, and maybe I'm not quite sure how to verbalize it, so I'll try. You know you have musicals are a good category barometer okay. as well for these kinds of things. Okay. So if you like Sound of Music, I'm like, okay, we're going to have a good time. Okay. If, if you like, if you don't like Singing in the Rain. Mm. Which to me, Singing in the Rain is so much more than a musical because it also represents film history. Yeah, it's a movie, a great movie about movies. Yeah, and it also, you know, represents that whole, oh, best word to describe it. Debbie Reynolds' character is, you know, embodies it where it's like she's this confident woman. And she's not just going to sit there and look pretty for you. Mm-hmm. you know? Like, if, if you don't have an appreciation of some kind yeah. for that film, yeah. like that's a good indicator for me, too. It's almost as strong a Star Wars indicator. Yeah. And again, along all of these lines, if you just haven't seen them, mm-hmm. hey, 
let's come on over. Come on over. I will show them to you. You know, that's that's a different story. But if you have seen like one or two, and you're like, I'll never watch again. Yeah. You know, of, of movies of that kind. Then come on now, seriously. Moving away from these kinds of deal breakers, what are other kind of deal breakers, movie deal breakers for you? I think theater habits. So I'm oh, not. Yes. I am. I am not very trusting when it comes to my movie going experiences or who <laughs> I go with. Okay. Um, important movies like Star Wars or Marvel or foreign or Oscar worthy ones, I have to watch with you first. With me. Yes. Specifically. Because you're my person. Oh. And then I can go watch it with friends. Why is that? Explain that mentality. Because not only do I like, I, I think I really like the movie going experience sometimes contained between the two of us. Mm. And then go and experience it with someone else because I guess I don't want to get upset with anyone. <laughs> what would upset you? What what's a It's hard what is to it you're tell, working towards? You know? Like if if you're Like what's one thing that if you went to the movie theater with mm-hmm. somebody that they did that you'd be like, I am not going to the movie theater with you again. Like if I didn't like the film and I want to talk about not liking the film, and you take it that I didn't like going with you. Ah, like, take it personally. Yeah, like, that. that is so not true. I liked eating popcorn with you. <laughs> I like that you snuck in the Kit Kat, you know? like Whatever I, it is, yeah. You know, whatever. But if you take the, if you take, if you muddy up the experience mm-hmm. of going to the movie together and experiencing the movie, like, that that's a deal breaker for me because I don't have time for that drama. Like <laughs> I, that is like high school shit right there, and I don't have time for that. I I also just I really love watching films with you. You're Aww. you know like it's okay to have you know our son there, my brother there, you know family. Sure, that's yeah, fine. Yeah. But <laughs> we've had certain family members who will not be named. That that we went and you're even mentioning it, my God. <laughs> that 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 was not necessarily the most pleasant experience, no. right? And I will say, like for for me, in terms of like a theater going deal breaker, whether or not we're going to do this again, is like if you're someone who like tries talking during the movie, not reacting to the movie, but talking during the movie. Yeah. If you're someone who uses your cell phone during the movie, you know, and, and thinks that that's okay. And if you're posting or liking posts or something. Right. Like, could you please fuck off? Like, this is not your living room. Come on. Yeah. You know, if you're someone who, like, purposely <laughs> grabs a, a food item that ha- comes in a wrink- crinkly package and you choose the quietest scene to try and open that thing and you don't understand why that might be a problem. Oh, dear God. Well, that's a, that's a deal breaker, <laughs> right? We're not doing this again, though. <laughs> exactly. Um, I've... Are any of those the case for you, too? Yeah, definitely the packaging thing. Because, you know, I'm so pedantic about packaging. I mean, our son will ask if he can have a candy thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's fine. Yeah. But I am opening your candy thing. Uh, and I am dunking it all out in a container for you. Yeah. And you are going to eat that quietly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. It, I am so pedantic about it. Yeah. You know? As you should be. <sighs> I'm trying to think of other things, yeah. but I guess it's just something that I'm so paranoid about. It's yeah. Because like, I, I don't want to hate the person afterwards. <laughs> and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dislike them in some way afterwards if something like this happens. Sure. I think one thing that's a deal breaker is we've never done this with friends, uh-huh. but other people around us, like if you bring your kid to Deadpool. Oh, 
Oh, um, yeah. You mean, like, common sense? Like, it is, <laughs> it is beyond, oh, we can't talk about movies. It, like, we can't talk about parenting. We can't talk about anything. <laughs> because you are just a bad parent. <laughs> you know? like, right, right. And by kid, right. I mean eight-year-old, six-year-old right. watching. Oh, yeah, movie. yeah. Clearly under the age of ten, you know, absolutely. And then the kid, like, comments afterwards, ah, oh, that was so weird. Of course it was weird. You're six and you just got sexually awoken in some way. You know? <laughs> anyway. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think another deal breaker for me is piracy. Yes, that is a deal breaker for me. Now, here's the thing. Yeah, um, let's talk about I have that. a friend who dabbles in piracy, but it's not their main preference of movie watching, you know? If piracy is your preferred way of watching films, like you don't you you don't want to go to the movie theater. You think that everything costs too much, and so you'll just download them or whatever through some piracy app that you have, and and that's how and you invite friends over and you don't take the time to either purchase a stream or purchase a disc or whatever. You just want to pirate, pirate, pirate. That's a huge deal breaker to me because it's not just a matter of like the how it makes me feel uncomfortable, but it's like also you're stealing money from from hundreds of people's jobs in one go. Yeah. You know, like you are voting to make sure that those people like can't work. And not only that, like you're also voting you know, you vote for your, with your wallet, right? What kind of movies you want to see get made and stuff like that. Well, if you're pirating, like, there's no voice of what whether or not the movies you really love to see are going to be able to get financed in the future. Yeah. You know, because this is how the, re- the world works. Like, if you want to see, I don't know, some LGBTQ uh, stories... Go to the theater and vote with your wallet and give that thing money so that way it earns a profit and the studios think, oh, like people want to see these stories, you know? That's their only indicator. And you know that cast that comes on for about three or four minutes uh-huh. when the movie's done? All those people need to get paid. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know? yeah. And more like ten minutes these days, a lot yeah. of those credits. But so yeah. don't pretend... That you're not taking people's jobs away from them because you are. Right. You're yeah. taking all those people's jobs away. I, I've had conversations with piracy, piracy fans and they're like, oh, but Scarlett Johansson earns enough already. I'm not talking about Scarlett Johansson. I'm talking about the actor drivers. I'm talking about the makeup artists. I'm talking right. about the people that Production are Production designers. Uh, you know what? They need money too. Yeah. So, so don't hide between... Don't hide behind that excuse. A movie is much more than its headlining stars. Yeah. Right? And, I, I mean, that includes not just the rest of the crew, but also what stories are being told, too. It's, it's, it's a very myopic perspective to have. And that's a deal breaker for me. It's, it sounds like you feel the same way. Absolutely. And I got... Look, in South Africa, we didn't have a lot of movies coming through. Mm -hmm. We didn't have a lot of TV shows coming through. So a lot of people turn to piracy because that's the only way they can get access to it. Mm. But things are changing now. Netflix is in the country over there. So you have an option. Yes. You know? Pay a fucking subscription for $10 a month or 10 rand or whatever it is. It's not 10 rand. 100 rand. Um, (laughs) 
Yeah. So there's no excuse to support piracy. There really isn't. Agreed. Is there any other deal breakers that you want to share before we move on? No, I think I shared everything. I just looked at my notes and I'm like, oh, we talked about everything. Very cool. <laughs> uh, but we're curious, what are your movie deal breakers? Feel free to email us if you, even if you share or have any different of, uh, feelings about our movie deal breakers at the Gibson Review at Gmail. How can you judge their parenting? <laughs> you should be ashamed. The Gibson Review at gmail.com. All right. Now, on to our final segment of the episode, Film Phase. 1986. I hated working on this particular year. All right, we'll get there. Hold okay. on, hold on. So first of all, for those who aren't familiar, Film Phase is a segment inspired by a regular feature on, on the website a long time ago, where we count down our favorite movies around a particular topic, often marching backwards through time, uh, and create our respective list of our 12 favorite films. The, the idea is to give you an idea of our favorite, our, our, our tastes in film, and also hopefully expose you to certain movies that are, that you've never heard of before. So to that end, we also call out when it's available to stream on sub, such subscription services as Netflix, HBO Now, Hulu, and Amazon Prime. A lot of these movies are, may not be available on those services, but um, you may be able to rent them on Amazon, uh, so definitely feel free to search that too. We have been going backwards through time. We're back to 1986 now, which has been an interesting year. I think the decade of the 80s is going to prove to be our, one of our most challenging decades to go through year by year, and we'll have some modifications as to how we're going to do this in the coming uh, episodes. You know, especially since. Fewer and fewer movies came out uh, back then as they do now, compared to how they do now. So, but let's go through and talk a little bit about the year 1986 before, Shanna, you share your thoughts on the year and your favorites. So 1986 was an interesting year. It was the first year that the Siskel and Ebert program premiered on uh, syndication. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Timothy Dalton was officially announced as the fourth actor to play James Bond. A couple years later, he would come out, or maybe it's the next year, he'd come out with The Living Daylights. And Pixar Animation Studios was founded in 1986. Of course, they'd have their first full-length feature in 1995, Toy Story. So, Shanna, I'm going to tell you the top few highest-grossing films of 1986, and you tell me what you think was the highest-grossing film of 1986, okay. okay? No cheating. All right, so, well, number five was Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, with $109.7 million. With the whale. Correct. Okay. Number four was The Karate Kid Part Two with $115.1 million. Number three, for realsies this time, was Platoon, uh, which debuted in December of 86, with $138.5 million. And number two, the second highest grossing film of 1986, was Crocodile Dundee, with $174.8 million. Can you guess what the highest grossing film of the year was by just $2 million more, $176.7 million? Well, I know it wasn't Blue Velvet. Ha <laughs> ha! No. No, no, no. Was it Ferris Bueller's Day Off? 
No, that was number 10, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, all right, one more. It wasn't Flight of the Navigator, was it? No, that did not rank in the top 10. It was actually Top Gun, starring Tom Cruise. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Which I tried to get you to check out just so you had that film knowledge, and you're like, fuck that shit. <laughs> I'm not interested. Sometimes there are movies that I just don't want to watch. Fair enough. So that year, Platoon was the best picture at the Academy Awards, and a film called The Assault actually beat Akira Kurosawa's film Ron for a best foreign film, which is interesting and surprising. Uh, the worst films of the year were uh, getting the Golden Raspberries were Howard the Duck, um, and oh. Under the Cherry Moon actually had a tie for worst films of the year. And I can definitely attest to Howard the Duck. That is not a good movie. Have you ever seen that, Shanna? No. Um, you're doing you're, you're doing just fine. Uh, and you spared yourself quite the expense of time. So here's the thing, though. Shanna, can you tell me what Marley Matlin, Woody Harrelson... Steve Buscemi, Christian Bale, and Joaquin Phoenix all have in common? Ooh, did they get nominated? No. For something? They all made their film debuts in 1986. Oh, that's cool. Christian Bale was in Anastasia, The Mystery of Anna. Um, oh, Steve, wait, that came out that year? Not the animated film that you're thinking of. Though. No, it's the, it's the live action, right? It's a live action, yes. Uh, Steve Buscemi was in Parting Glances. Woody Harrelson was in Wildcats, a film I didn't get to catch up on. I've never seen. Marley Matlin was in Children of a Lesser God and got, I think, praised with uh, and showered with awards for her performance in that film. Also, I didn't get to catch up on that one. Joaquin Phoenix was in Space Camp. And they, along with Michael Rooker, Bill Pullman, Renona Ryder, Tony Shalhoub, lovey, and Ioni Skye, Kevin Spacey, Christy Swanson, Tilda Swinton, Billy Bob Thornton, Naomi Watts, Bradley Whitford, all these people made their debut in 1986. Do you know, however, what Lena Dunham, Amber Heard, Gemma Archerton, and Shia LaBeouf, and the Olsen twins all have in common? Oh, uh, those ones were born. They were born in 1986. As well as Lindsay Lohan, Army Hammer, and uh, the musician or the singer Drake, too. So, uh, not a bad year as far as those things are concerned. Share, share your thoughts about 1986 and lead us into your number 12 favorite. So, as I said, I had a hard time with this year. <laughs> you know, I think, I think it's this year and 85 are not kind to me. So we will just see how the rest of the 80s go. Yeah. It might be like this for the rest of our years. Because um, are we doing decades for the 70s? So. <laughs> I know I'm getting ahead here, but I guess I want to know what I'm in for. So we're going to go year by year for the next couple of years. Uh, but I'm playing with the idea of combining 82, 83 and combining 80, 81. Uh, uh, and then since that is my birth year, 80 will go from there decade by decade okay. um, instead of year by year, especially since I think we're, we're learning the year by year is getting more and more challenging yeah. just because of the quantity of films yeah. and, you know, so many are obscure. 
Yeah, that's that's interesting. Cool. I think that's good to mention. We were on Flickchart and we were trying to do different years mm-hmm. and they significantly stop dropping. Yes, they do. So. Yes. I think it drops from like uh, 700, 800 that you would see now yeah. to like 200 or it's something. It's a huge drop. Yeah. It's massive. So my number 12 is Crocodile Dundee. An American reporter chases a story in Australia meeting Dundee, a crocodile poacher. She is taken with him and invites him to New York, the outbacker in the city. Amusing things ensue. <laughs> and that's what I've got for that. Oh, uh, what did you think of the film? I thought it was okay. It's, it's a fun one. Are you like me? Did you like Crocodile Dundee 2 better? That's when he's in New York and he blows up the fish, right? That's how it right opens by up the with Statue that. of Liberty. Yeah, yeah. Which is so not what you would even have in a film today. And they eventually <laughs> go back to the outback. They're chased by a Colombian drug lord, all that sort of stuff. So I, th- I think you're right. I think I preferred that one. Mm. I found that one more exciting. Well, at any rate, I'm glad this one ended up on your list because it's not on mine, so it needed a shout-out. Okay. Iconic film from that year. My number 12 favorite film of 1986 is The Three Amigos. That's my one for number 11. Oh, no kidding. Really? Yeah. Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Chevy Chase, you never see them together like this ever again. Their comedy is hilarious. The villain, oh gosh, I wish I had the villain's name. It's a character actor, and he's hilarious in this film. <laughs> I mean, just the whole pl- uh, plethora of pinatas scene is, is just, <laughs> it just is has me rolling. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's just a hilarious film. It, you know, maybe it's not one of the greatest comedies of all time, but if it's not in the top 100, it's just outside of it. I, I really enjoy The Three Amigos. Um, and it's also a movie about movies because these are, they play like silent era actors who get mistaken by a village. It's kind of Seven Samurai in a way. Get mistaken I'm by a village as heroes, and they're asked to save the village from these bandits. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I just like the plethora of comedy. <laughs> it's hard not to, right? Mm-hmm. So, since that is your number 11, do you have anything else you want to add about it? Oh, I just... I guess I'm kind of fond of the, the story of, oh, we see these guys on TV... We think that movies they, uh, in movies we think that they can help us. We hire them to come and help us, and then it's wait, wait a second. Right. So it almost makes me wonder: where's their agent in all of this? <laughs> where are the agents that right. have contracts? That's what I I wonder about the the I'm realistic sure that side they, of it. I'm not sure if they did. I think they just um, because in Galaxy contracted Quest, directly with the studios back then. Because in Galaxy Quest, you... I know it's like... It, there's a universe involved. Yeah. But, so <laughs> universe like, of time they, they in between. They get a pass. They yeah. get a pass. Yeah. But at the same time, there are, they definitely still have agents of some kind because they're going around to cons. Yeah, it's a different era yeah. too. But so. that's interesting. Uh, Galaxy <laughs> Quest is is like, is, is a Three Amigos. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's great. Um, my number 11... A very mild uh, cheat here, but I hope you'll allow it for the first time. It is... Oh, yeah, you've never used a cheat. Thank you for acknowledging <laughs> that. I appreciate it. It okay. is a French film called uh, Jean de Florette and its sequel, Manon of the Spring. Both came out in 1986, and the reason why... 
I feel like I have to include both is because, like, it's not a complete story without both of them. Even though, you know, they have different titles and everything. So here's what it's about. It, and I couldn't find a copy of this to, to refresh my memory ahead of time. But it's about a greedy landowner and his backward nephew who conspire to block the only water source for an adjoining property in order to bankrupt the owner and force him to sell. That owner is played by Gerard Depardieu. His, uh, and he has a daughter as well who grows up to be uh, Manon of uh, the Spring who is played in the sequel uh, by Emmanuel Baird. And that film's much more of a revenge film. And I, I enjoy Manon, that second half, slightly more. But um, I enjoyed both of them. It's by Claude Barry, who's not a filmmaker, a foreign filmmaker I'm very familiar with. But I, I can't even tell you how I came across this film years ago. But it's always stuck with me. And it's definitely one worth tracking down if you can. I enjoy the complete story quite well. You know, it's very microscopic, and for it to turn into kind of a revenge film, also with Manon on the Spring, I just think it's fascinating. So that's Jean de Florette and Manon of the Spring. That's my number 11. My number 10 is Blue Velvet. This. It's that low. Wow. <sighs> Without criticizing the placement. Oh, I'm surprised. I'm surprised. This has Laura Dern and David Lynch. That is all. Go watch. I'm whoa, just whoa, kidding. whoa. I'm just kidding. It's <laughs> not a one act, one 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 man show here. She's you know, in fact a, a, a minor character, right? She doesn't factor a lot, but yeah. you know, I'm a big Laura Dern fan. It is bizarre. Mm -hmm. It is incredibly uneasy. Mm -hmm. You have to be in a neutral. Like, seriously, guys. You have to be a big David Lynch fan, mm -hmm. or you you have to be in a neutral place to watch this. I'm not freaking kidding. Or a Dennis Hopper fan. Okay, cool. Because um, this film like re reignited his career, and it's one of his most iconic roles. Seriously. As Frank Booth. Listen to me now. You have to be in a neutral place when you watch this. <laughs> but it's worth watching at least once in your life. Mm -hmm. um, it's the best way to the best way to describe this is is like a recipe. There's a nightclub, a singer, psychopathic criminals, curiosity, wrong place, wrong time, kidnapping, nitrous, and you have something, you have a very strange chocolate cake, you know? So it's like, that's kind of the best way I can describe it without spoiling anything. And an ear. And an ear. We can throw an ear on there. Yeah. Those are the, like, the things you're going to see, and they're going to turn into this very strange story. Yep, yeah, that's, that's fair to say. That's fair to say. <laughs> My number 10 is Short Circuit, the classic tale about a uh, robot that was made by an arms private company, I guess it is, who got electrocuted and developed a personality. It also stars Ali Sheedy and Steve Gutenberg and Fisher Stevens. I grew up with this movie. It's, it's a hilarious uh, film for me. It's a, it's a lovely heartwarming family film uh, for me. You know, the, the robot learns empathy. The, lo the robot learns how to stand up for itself and is f its friends. It's very sweet, and it has a really cool opening title sequence that's very, like, robotics-centered, and it just kind of... It takes me back to a, a kind of a different time where robotics was a different thing than what it is now. Technology was a different thing than it is now. But very fun and enjoyable film. Also stars uh, G.W. Bailey, 
who uh, oh, Shanna, you love. I'm a big fan of him. Yeah, he starred in Mannequin, which we talked about in 1987, and he's in crime shows now. And he was, of course, in the Police Academy films at that time. He liked to yell a lot back then and be kind of an authority figure. He yells in the closer, too. Yeah, so <laughs> that's Short Circuit, my number 10 favorite film of 1986. My number 9 is Aliens, the sequel. Wow, it's so low. <laughs> Ripley is back, and it's 57 years later, and why won't the powers that be listen to her? Mm. And what will it cost them? Let's not forget it's directed by James Cameron. Well, yes. Mm. At the, there's a very interesting sparkly scene in the beginning. It's very interesting set design. I really like it. Yeah, that's a great film. Not as great, but is my next favorite film is Iron Eagle. Another film I grew up with. And then we have that. And then we have that. You know, some people love Top Gun. I love Iron Eagle. Thank I you very much. I think it's much. a good choice, yeah. Uh, really, thank you. It starred Louis Gossett Jr. and Jason Gedrick. It's about a young pilot who plans a rescue mission when his father, who's an Air Force colonel, is shot down over enemy territory and captured. It's cheesy, it's unlikely, but boy, did I play the hell out of the vinyl soundtrack at that time. It partially introduced me to Queen, because their song One Vision figures heavily oh, in this. Gosh. Because the dude, he yeah. likes to listen to music while he's flying. Mm-hmm. You know, it like relaxes him, I guess. Uh, much to the chagrin of Louis Gossett Jr.'s character. Um, I, I just really enjoyed the dynamic between Louis Gossett Jr. and Jason Gedrick in the movie. It's very much like hip in an 80s way. And I don't know. It's just, I enjoyed the soundtrack quite a bit. So, I don't know. It's, it's fun. And I think David Suchet, who um, not only was he in Harry and the Hendersons a year later, but I think he played the original oh, yeah. Poirot. He oh, plays I like him. as this very like vaguely Middle Eastern uh, defense colonel who seems to be like the ruler of the country, but whatever. Anyway, that's Iron Eagle. It's Quinn, It's very much 80s. It's my ninth favorite film of 1986. And it's not available on Prime. It's my first film that's available to stream. Oh, nice. My number eight is American Tale. Oh, my gosh. All these great films so low on your list. Wow. I can't... I, I have no idea what's going to be in your top three. This is a story of immigration, mm-hmm. search of a better life, yep. a son separated from his family. So going through culture shock, you've just arrived in this new family. You're, I mean, you've just arrived in this, in this new, new country. Yeah. <laughs> You're separated from your family. You're going through culture shock, and now you have to try and learn to live by yourself, like yeah. how to live. Yeah. It's it's a great film. This movie will kill you with tears. Yep. Jeff just has to quote one line, and I mm. burst into tears because it's such a beautiful film about love and family. A stunning anim- animation, stunning storytelling. Yeah, yeah. It's guaranteed to help you finish. Uh, you know, if you have a box of tissues just lying around doing nothing and you want to clear it away, you know, this will help you do that. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, you got too many tissues? Watch American Tale. Yes. Uh, Little Shop of Horrors is my number eight favorite film of 1986. This was one of the first musicals I actually liked. I grew up surrounded by Rodgers and Hammerstein, and that stuff was really stodgy for me overall. But Little Shop of Horrors had something extra. This was, I believe, directed by Frank Oz. It helped that it has a cast of, like, Rick Moranis and and John Candy and uh, Steve Martin. 
and so many, so many actors, comedic actors of, of the time, some plain jerks like Steve Martin, uh, some not, but just just great songs, too. Like the, the opening number, Downtown, dude, I put that up there with any of the best musical songs, uh, songs from musicals ever. It's so good. It, it captures the, the feel of the, the era that it's going for. And, of course, Audrey, too, who's played by a member of the Four Tops, whose name escapes me right now. Uh, just killer and iconic. Uh, no pun intended. And it's just a, it's just such a fun, bonkers, off-the-wall story, and it's a great remake of a Roger Corman B-movie that starred Jack Nicholson at the start of his career. Uh, this is a huge improvement on it. I love Little Shop of Horrors, uh, and it's... Uh, it's uh, made it on my list as my number eight favorite film of 1986. Shanna, what's your number seven? Ah, my list is mixed up. My number seven is Asterix in Britain. Asterix and Obelix are warriors of the village of Gaul, the last village free of Roman rule. Now they need to help Asterix's cousin's village with the help of, did I mention there's a magical potion giving everyone mighty strength in this village? So now they're going to go and take some of that potion over, help the cousin. Asterix and Obelix, they have a couple of movies. In fact, they have a movie in 1985, too. They have a long series of films, yeah, animated and, and live action. They are really... Okay, live action, a little disappointing, but well cast. Maybe I should watch that. You know, I've only watched that with uh, English audio. Hmm. And I should watch it with English subtitles. Okay. I've never thought of doing that. Because these are usually, like, French or something? I, I thought it was Swedish, but I'm probably really wrong. So, Asterix French. And, yeah, oh, French. French. Okay, Asterix and Obelix, they are awesome. That is like, Asterix and Obelix, Tintin, those were really popular in South Africa. So whenever there was a cartoon available of one of those franchises, mm -hmm. South Africa brought it in. Okay. Well, that is technically a cheat because it came out in the States in 1987, but I will allow it since I cheated as well this time around. And, you know, we've passed by a lot of these Asterix films, and it's good for you to give uh, mm -hmm. shed some light on at least one. So my next film is The Flight of the Navigator. Oh, that's my next one. No shit. Yeah. It's a very obscure Disney film I hadn't seen in 20 plus years. It's about a kid who... He falls in a ravine, wakes up, finds that when he goes back home, no one lives there anymore. He, he is at a completely different time. There's a voice that he keeps hearing. He gets, he gets taken away by NASA... And, and kind of studied and locked away. He keeps hearing this voice, and it turns out he has some sort of a relationship with some spaceship. Mm -hmm. And he's been gone for, what is it, seven years? Yeah, I think it's something like that, seven or eight years. And he's never aged, but everybody else in the world, of course, did. It's a fascinating film for Disney to have made, I just remember that when I was a kid, like, I watched the VHS all the time. We loved it. It was probably on Disney Channel back then, too. The ship has a personality that, that um, navigate not navigates, but controls the ship. And that is voiced by Paul Rubens. Of course, he was known for P.E.B. Herman at that time. 
there's very fascinating little uh, critters, like alien creatures in it. In hindsight, it's an extremely simple story. Like, it's literally about him getting on the ship and then trying to go back to Florida in that ship. You know, it's enough to fill a good 80, 90 minutes. I think this is a good mystery sprinkled with a NASA investigation, making NASA look like the bad guys. It's <laughs> very interesting. In hindsight, you know, hey, NASA, we love you. <laughs> we miss you, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's like, I'm like... Did this help NASA at all? I feel like it didn't. Yeah. Uh, did you have anything else to say about it? I think I was going to say, I think it's best to watch this film without knowing much about it, but, you know. As you did, right? Because <laughs> yeah. you just recently discovered I enjoyed watching it not knowing anything about it. Mm. And then you described a lot of it. So I feel like if you had mentioned there's some sort of time twist, I would have been like, okay, let's watch it. Right, Why haven't right. you watched it? Previously. Right, right. Well, it's hard to find, too. You it know, is. Um, But it's one of those that you can rent. Yeah, I guess that's enough to say about the Flight of the Navigator. And now is your number six. We're at the halfway mark. My number six is Big Trouble in Little China. The classic. Oh, my God. John Carpenter. This is a deal breaker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. This is so a deal breaker for me. Hey. Oh, my God. Well, that's so funny because, like, that's two movies that I love that you don't at all. Princess Bride and Big Trouble in Little China. This one, though, is directed by John Carpenter. stars Kurt Russell. And and is it... It's not Kate Capshaw. It's the girl from Mannequin, isn't it? Came Control. How do you describe this movie? It's like, it's like if a six-year-old's imagination were put on the film... That's what kind of what this movie would be. It uses like some ancient Chinese sorcery, some Wu cinema uh, tropes in it, where you have these martial arts actions. The IMDb describes it as a rough and tumble trucker, played by Kurt Russell, helps rescue his friend's fiance from an ancient sorcerer in a supernatural battle beneath Chinatown. This thing is bonkers and awesome at the same time. You know, it also totally undercuts the whole, like, white male hero thing. Because Kurt Russell, he acts tough. He, he's all cocky and shit. But he's he's so ineffective. And, and that's a brilliant pivot that the movie has. James Hahn plays the ultimate bad guy. Victor Wong also starts in it, stars in it. I just absolutely love Big Trouble in Little China. And so I had to put it on this list. I'm just surprised I couldn't put it any higher. Then my number six. What's your number five favorite film of 1986, Shanna? My number five is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Very cool. It's this elaborate skipping of school, yep. <laughs> playing hooky, uh, including a musical number, In the City. And yep. I find that very interesting. And a whiny sister. It's always fun. Played by Jennifer Grey. Yeah. Of course. Who <laughs> went on to Dance Dirty the next year. My number five is Highlander, available on Prime and Hulu. I know it's a movie. So here's the thing. It's a movie I grew up with. Yeah, so it's one you have sentimental Absolutely loved. It was a huge deal. There were sequels. There was a TV show that ran for years based on it. I show you this movie, and you can't last 10 minutes in it. So I get it. 15. And look, here's the thing. Like It's widely considered to be not a good movie. But I ate this shit up. It, it was like, like how many movies do you come across that deals with immortality? 
and, and makes a, an, an action film out of immortality, you know? So that's what this is. Duncan McLeod? Not Duncan. The other McLeod. Uh, Duncan, I think, was in the TV show. Anyway, of Clown McLeod. He discovers he's born immortal. He's a part of this whole society of immortals living amongst us throughout the world. There can be only one, though, Shanna. So whenever a immortal comes across another immortal, they have to fight it out via swords. And the only way to kill an immortal, I bet you didn't know this, is to decapitate them. You have to take off their head. I feel like if you've been living that long... Uh, with uh, with it, all of them existing anyway in the first place, you probably don't have to keep only one. You can probably all live coexist. Oh, see, it all has to come down to one, which apparently it did uh, in the sequel and in the third film and in the fourth film. I don't know how. See, this is the but... thing. This is the thing I have a problem with. I have a problem with the story. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it works fine if you just acknowledge the first one. Uh, Sean Connery stars in it as well. I mean, my question is, are you recreating? Is that why there's never just one? Is that why it never gets to the point of one? Is that why you have, like, ten sequels in a show? You know? So, it's like... <laughs> I dare you Are you to... killing your sons and daughters? Like, I, I don't understand. You know what you should do? You should binge watch no, all of them no, and no, find no, out the answers no, and report no. back. I do not have that time on my hands. Anyway, lastly, I was just going to say, Queen did the soundtrack to it, mm. and... I adore these songs, and as much, almost as much as I adore the film. Or actually, maybe the other way around. At any rate, Highlander, available on Prime and Hulu, my number five favorite film of 1986. Santa? My number four is Hotburn, written by Nora Ephron, starring Meryl Streep and Jack Nicholson. Meryl Streep is pregnant with her second child with Jack Nicholson. They are also in a remodel of their home they just bought, and she finds out... Her husband is cheating on her. The pain, the suffering, the intuition that tried to warn her that this was going to happen. It's all a very interesting, painful story. Sounds like fun. No, I... It's, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Because, like, if you've never experienced being cheated on, if you have a Reddit... Like, my grand was cheated on all the time. And she was a bitter woman I love the woman so much but she yeah. was very bitter okay. and it's a hard thing to comprehend but this film helps me digest it and gain some empathy for her very cool that's, a, that's an excellent choice my number four film however is Papa Papa why do you want to do this to me An American you Tale you to make me cry all the freaking time <laughs> An American Tale on Netflix the best Don Bluth film, by the way, the most beautiful, most emotional film he ever did. Got gorgeous animation, gorgeous score. I used to play the cassette tape of that all the time. Had a huge number one hit somewhere out there. Had uh, several uh, good songs too. There are no cats in America. I actually, that pops in my head off and on. Loved Fireball, the entire culture around American Tale. I loved it. It did produce a sequel, Fireball Goes West. I think there's more, but like, Fireball Goes West is like okay, and so mm -hmm. I didn't really like. I was also getting older. But American Tale, the original from 1986, was one of the best animated films of the 80s, hands down. Just so good. And I cry like so many times watching this movie. It's so good. I get moved and stirred just. Just from the climactic thing with the cats at the end. I, I won't spoil it, but 
Yeah, I love, love, love American Tale. And it, so it's my fourth favorite of 1986 on Netflix. Shanna, what's your third favorite film of 1986? My third favorite film is She's Gotta Have It. Really? The yeah. Spike Lee film? Yes, the one that you showed me. Guys, this is shot in black and white. It's very exciting. And it's you can tell it's shot on black and white film uh, because it's grainy and grungy and it's divine. And it's about a woman and her three lovers. There are things happening in this film that should be discussed always. I love that this film doesn't shy away from nudity or a woman having satis- receiving satisfaction. Yeah. I love that she is not vilified in this film for wanting three men to satisfy her different desires. Hmm. I love that rape is addressed. Oh, man, you had to bring it up. I had to bring it up. Oh, I had boy. to bring it up. Deal breaker. Because here's the thing. The way that they deal with rape here makes you discuss it with the person you're sitting next to. And how angry it made them. <laughs> And I know that you said Spike Lee regrets putting that in there. Yeah. But I'm glad he put it in there because some people might not see that particular kind of rape as rape, but it is. Fair enough. I'm going to walk away from that one because we'll just we'll just lock horns. I just I just didn't connect with that movie as well. But I'm really glad that you're calling attention to I think Spike Lee's first film um, mm-hmm. ever. So very cool. My third favorite film in 1986, however, is Stand by Me. That's my number two. Oh, very cool, very cool. You know, uh, this is the film based on the Stephen King novella, The Body, about the the adolescents who go off to find a body of, of someone they know who got hit by a train somewhere. It's set in um, Oregon as opposed to the normal main setting of uh, Stephen King's stories. Uh, it stars uh, River Phoenix, Will Wheaton... Jerry O'Connell and Corey Feldman, principally. Oh, and Kiefer Sutherland is in it, too. And John Cusack walked on for a couple of scenes while he was filming another movie uh, that escapes me right now. I think Eight Men Out, if I remember correctly. This it is, it is, it is Rob Reiner directed. He was on the roll here. It's such a great film. Moving film. I've had the privilege of talking to Will Wheaton himself and and asking him how he gave such a, a, a wonderful performance at that age. And he credits, credits all of it to uh, Rob Reiner, who uh, directed the hell out of the kids um, and made a beautiful piece. What did you have to say about Stand By Me? I just thought it was a stunning story about boyhood. Mm-hmm. And I think, who did Stand By Me? Is this... Um... The song? No. <laughs> Is it Stephen King? Is this Stephen King's story? Yeah, like I said, it's based okay. on his novella, The Body. There's a couple films in this era that I like. It's this one, The Client, and A Time to Kill. And I know those are different authors. Different times, too. And different times. But there's something about those three films that are very interesting to me. Mm. And it, it has like this feel to mm. it. And I don't really know how to verbalize it, but Stand By Me, I felt like it was an honest telling of story of boyhood mm-hmm. yeah it definitely hits some great notes yeah it's and friendship too and friendship yeah and it's so nice to see movies about friendship mm-hmm. because often we're seeing movies that are you know it's just like one character's perspective and you have like one friend 
but it's really nice to see you know a story with like four boys and they're yeah. dealing with one two three four issues you know yep and i found that really interesting and i like the narration um i like the beginning of the film all the way to the yeah, end yeah the bookend with richard dreyfus yeah. yep makes me cry every time yeah let's go watch that one yeah and a good soundtrack i had on tape too of all um, these 50s thanks. early 60s songs nice okay so that was your second favorite film is yeah, that right yeah. so my second favorite film in 1986 is ferris bueller's day off oh that's where yours landed Yes, uh, of course, uh, this is John Hughes' film starring Matthew Broderick in his iconic role. The guy has done a lot since, but hard to get away from Ferris. You mentioned it also stars Jennifer Grey. Uh, it also has Jeffy Jones as the principal who's trying to not let Ferris get the better of him. Ben Stein has a scene as a very boring teacher. Christy Swanson has a cameo, not a cameo, but a very early role as one of the other students. I mean, this movie is just a blast. I mean, like, how can you not smile and have fun mm -hmm. with Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Mm -hmm. You know, it's all about having fun and enjoying your days, you know, and taking a taking a moment and, and looking around and, and, you know, enjoying yourself every once in a while. Not get caught up so much and be at school or work or whatever it is. And so there's a lot to, to enjoy and appreciate about Ferris Bueller's Day Off in that sense. And, and I love you. I, I, I love it. Um, and, of course, it's hard to resist that scene where he's singing Twist and Shout or lip-syncing. Lip, twist and Shout in the parade. You know, it's a great <laughs> Best scene. Best lip-syncing moment ever. Perhaps. What is your favorite film of 1986, Shannon? My favorite film of 1986 is The Great Mouse Detective. Oh, I should have known. I love Sherlock Holmes stories. Uh-huh. And yeah, you're giving it to me in animation style with a mouse. This is true, yes. And the bad guy is a rat. Yes. This is fantastic. <laughs> okay. This is my favorite. Basil of Baker Street is that mousy Sherlock Holmes dri driven to solve the mystery of a kidnapped toy maker. It, well, he's actually more driven to find Ratkin because, you know, he's uh, Sherlock Holmes. If you know Sherlock Holmes, he's always after thingamajig. Uh, What's his name? Uh, well, What's his name? It just came to um, Moriarty. Yes, it's always about Moriarty, but, you know, here he has to take a beat, and he has to help the kidnapped toy maker for uh, the toy maker's daughter's sake. Right. And it is so fun. It is so enjoyable. It is so crazy. I love Sherlock Holmes so freaking much. So, yeah, that's what I got. And the great mouse detective itself. My favorite film of 1986 is James Cameron's Aliens. That makes sense. It is hands down. It might be actually the best film of 1986. Sorry, Platoon fans, but I really think that this one definitely overshadows Platoon uh, as a film, as a great film. It, it's, uh, you know, Cameron, he took what was a straightforward Ten Little Indians horror film and turned it into this more broad action film with military and and um and also adding to it a degree of ma maternal instinct in uh ellen ripley and uh you know the survivor newt of this colony you know honestly like if there's ever a emergency message out there you know proceed with caution 
if at all, maybe? Yeah, they're not no. they're not pranking you. No, this is this is an awesome cast. Bill Paxton in one of his most iconic roles. Game over, man. Michael Bean, of course, from Terminator is in this film. Oh, that's too. Right. He's awesome in it. It's just a, a killer cast. Vasquez. Can't remember the actress's name. She's an awesome. She She is gosh, pretty you know, cool. I was saying that Renee Russo in Lethal Weapon 3 may have been the first, like, kick-ass woman I've seen. Mm -hmm. um, I have to think, like, when I eventually saw Aliens, if that was after or before I was 12 years old, because Vasquez, she's a badass, really, mm -hmm. you know? And, of course, Ellen Ripley, she becomes a badass, too, in this film. Um, it's epic. I love the special edition version that kind of fills in the gaps. What more can you say? Paul Reiser plays a, a weasel in it. Yeah, man. I don't know. Like, Aliens. It's Aliens, <laughs> for crying out loud. One of the greatest sci-fi films of all time. So, yeah, it's my favorite of 1986. But what are your favorite films of 1986? Email us at gmail.com. Uh, that'll about do it for us in this episode of The Movie Lovers. Shanna, before we talk about... What's happening in the next episode? Why don't you share with everybody where they can find you online? People can find me at shannapaxton.com. S-H-A-N-N-A-P-A-X-T-O-N.com. And you can find my social media channels from there. Very cool. Uh, so go to thegibsonreview.com to find all the past articles and episodes. You can also follow us on social media on Facebook uh, slash The Gibson Review or Instagram slash The Gibson 99. Go to Flickchart, The Gibson 99 uh, there. I have over 3,300 films that I have seen that you can kind of look, uh, look at there. Um, find the episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and now, I, I meant to mention this at the start of the episode. I'll get better at this, I promise. You can now donate to us to help defer some of the costs of seeing films and running the podcast. Just go to PayPal, and you can donate to the Gibson Review at gmail.com on PayPal there. And we will appreciate your donations and give a shout-out on our Facebook page for said donations. So thank you for that ahead of time. In the next episode of The Movie Lovers, we'll be getting back to reviewing films again with, I believe, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, the latest epic, awesome monster film and one of our most anticipated films of the year. And then we'll be also counting down our favorite action films of the decade. So that should be a lot of fun. I think you can expect to find that on June 11th. Until then, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying... Bye-bye.